Let's hit it. And welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about. And welcome back to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I am thrilled that you are here to join us today. We are going to be talking about reimagining what dementia can look like. But first, I always like to give a few shout outs. So I'm going to start with the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore, who did our opening song, Clarion Call. And if you like it, you can download it on any of your favorite music platforms. For those of you that are new to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, we are about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to talk with real people in the trenches, and you're going to hear that today, which is what I so love about my job. Our goal is to raise everyone's voice, large and small, all around the world. Check out Dementia Map for more resources regarding anything dementia. I am just thrilled to be a co-founder of Dementia Map with my uh, partner, Dave Wiederick. It's just an amazing site and something that I wanted for 37 years. So check it out. There's all kinds of new things. There's new stuff coming online every day. And if you are interested and putting a resource in, we would love to have you join us as well. There is both a free listing and two paid ones. Uh, the paid ones both are 25% off right now with our summer sizzle coupon. But just go to DementiaMap.com and you can learn more about things there. I want to give a shout out to the Memory Cafe directory because a lot of memory cafes are coming back on our um, a lot of memory cafes are now meeting in person. And so you can find which ones are virtual and which ones are in person by going to memorycafedirectory.com. And if you haven't downloaded your free apps from Coro Health, I suggest you do that. Both Music First and Coro Faith are free uh, till the end of the year. And they're just a, a marvelous app to be able to have um, when you're dealing with somebody with dementia. Let's see, August 10th, I'm going to be doing a program for artists. It'll be a national program. It'll be virtual. Again, that's August 10th, 6.30 Eastern time. So that would be 5.30 Central, 4.30 um, Mountain, and 3.30 Pacific time. And the title is Conscious Compassionate Care for the Care Partner. So check that out. Registration is free. And then November 2nd, Together for Dementia is an international conference that I'm going to be part of, and that is open to the public. You can find more about both of those by uh, contacting me. And we are going to listen to the Footbar Walker. We'll be right back, and I'll introduce you to our guests. Introducing the life-changing Footbar Walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The Footbar Walker revolutionized my care of George. It absolutely benefits the patient and the caregiver both, and that's the beauty of it. It's so easy to use. It folds up just like a dream. I got it in and out of the car without any effort at all. The saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle? to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The Foot Bar Walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required. See how it works at thefootbarwalker.com. That's thefootbarwalker.com. Peggy, would you recommend the Foot Bar Walker? Do I ever? I would not be in the health that I'm in today at this age had it not been for the Foot Bar Walker. 
Okay, so it's time to get to the show, and I'm really excited to introduce you to Pia Canto. She is a senior scientist at the Kite Toronto Rehabilitation Institute and a professor in the Dalai Lana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. She is an activist, an academic, and she draws on the arts to challenge stigma associated with dementia and wants to transform the dementia care culture as a whole. In addition, we also have Phyllis Fair, who promotes the ability of people living with dementia by advocating for people living with this disease, both locally and nationally. Phyllis has spoken at the Senate of Canada, the United Nations, and the World Health Organization from a lived experience perspective, while she educates about stigma associated with dementia. Ladies, I'm just thrilled to have you with us today. So thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you so much, Lori, for having us on the show. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Yes, thank you. Wonderful. Now, I always start out with all of my guests asking them one main question, and that is, have you been personally touched by dementia or within your family or circle of friends? And um, Pia, I'm going to throw that to you, and then I'll ask Phyllis to answer that as well. So, Lori, my interest in, in dementia started when I was a, a young girl and visited my great-grandmother in a residential long-term care home. And I remember being angered that she was treated as though she wasn't there. Um, and this was because in my visits with her, that there was always someone to encounter and always someone to engage with and, and someone to know. So I really attribute my interest in and, and my commitment to dementia research to these observations of mine at a, at a very early age. And my interest in challenging the tragedy narrative of dementia and redressing stigma related inequities. Wonderful, thanks for sharing that. How about you, Phyllis? I too, like Pia, started at a younger age. My grandmother had dementia back in the 1960s. And, you know, being a teenager, you don't really you understand it, but you really don't. And then again, as an adult raising children, my mom developed dementia. And so I took care of her. And then roughly 15 years ago, I too was diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's. Were you surprised, Phyllis, when you got the diagnosis? To be honest, I wasn't. I was an ICURN. So when I started seeing symptoms, I kind of knew in the back of my head what I thought it would be. And so that led me to go and really get it checked out quite early on because I didn't want to let it linger and hang on. And I didn't want it affecting my career. Thank you for giving us that that feedback and that background on, on both of you. Pia, I want to ask, what was the impetus to create the coalition of reimagining dementia? So um, I think, Laurie, to understand the impetus for creating the coalition does require some reflection here on our collective concerns. And these have to do with the harm that's imposed by stigma associated with dementia. Um, this stigma is related to the belief that, you know, the neurological impairment that's at the core of dementia leads to a total erasure of the self, leaving just an empty shell. I mean, that's the dominant assumption. And, you know, this is of deep concern to us because of how it dehumanizes and demarcates the lives of people living with dementia as disposable and how it also enables and legitimizes discriminatory practices. I mean, to grasp the harm imposed by stigma, one only has to consider, you know, the conditions of life and care in so many residential long-term care settings. These are sites of increasing use of restraints, including mechanical restraints, such as, you know, bed rails, environmental restraints, such as locked doors and chemical restraints, which include medication that sedates residents. And, and also in so many long-term care homes, there's no social or emotional interaction between staff and residents and, and also between residents. Caring is, is all too often reduced to toileting, bathing, feeding. You know, there's no opportunities offered to pursue relationships. And with very few exceptions, they're 
there are no enriching activities. So as a society, we don't value the lives of people living with dementia. Um, this is also reflected in the conditions of so many care homes where only bare supports and resources are provided. I mean, they're sorely understaffed and um, you know, often lack an enriching environment. And it was precisely these conditions you know, and the treatment of people living with dementia is disposable that left them and the whole long-term care sector so vulnerable to the deathly impact of, of COVID. You know, these conditions predate COVID and COVID efficiently exploited them. So we were angered by this because we have more than enough evidence to make dramatic improvements to help people to live well with, with dementia. So with stigma associated with dementia, how it legitimizes discrimination and how this resulted in the impact of COVID on people living with dementia, we felt that there was urgency for change to happen now. And that's what led us to create Reimagining Dementia, a creative coalition for justice. Well, I love that. I Everything you said, I guess I felt too, you know, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years and for the first 10, was misdiagnosed. Uh, they went to their doctor of 40 years who knew nothing about anything, you know, as far as neurology was concerned. And he kept telling my mom, you know, that it was her hormones. And then, you know, we knew it was more than that. We didn't know where to go. You couldn't really talk to anybody about this. And even when we went to the Alzheimer's Association, it was limited to, they were only gonna tell us what they did. They weren't going to tell us what anybody else was doing as far as resources and and things out there. And, um, you know, I ended up leaving my career of 25 years in residential real estate to try to create something different because you mentioned the lack of social and emotional care. where my mom ended up living, I think um, she had that there the majority of the time. And I think that's why she lived as long as she did. Um, But I saw many places where that was not the case. And I also felt that it was really important to listen to the voice of dementia, which, you know, back then, uh, you know, what do you mean we're going to talk to them? We can't talk to them. That whole stigma was there. Even Mm -hmm. people in the industry that were caring for people that knew somebody could talk, that knew they had an opinion. It was still, it wasn't in that realm. It, it was it was very, very shut down. And it's nice to see that some things have changed in the last, I'll say 10 years and in, in recently five years, but you know, it's a thimble full of um, resources compared to what we need in terms of 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 not only resources, but change as a whole. So I'm just so thrilled um, that this coalition is out there and it's so inclusive. And, um, you know, this is really important work because we really are in this uh, time of paradigm shifts where people people are putting up with what they were putting up with before. I mean, they're they're speaking up and they're collaborating. And I think that that is a, a very powerful message. Um, Phyllis, anything that you wanted to add about the coalition itself in terms of why it started and, and uh, maybe even why you decided to join? I just thought it was a great fit for what I'm doing and that it, stands for what I believe in, and that's getting the voice of the people, standing up for the people, and let's make change. Let's change things. So were you were were you an advocate for dementia prior to the coalition starting then in terms of because of you know your history and your family and then with yourself? You had really stepped in and stepped up prior to the coalition starting? Yeah. So I had, um, so I've explained about my grandmother, but we, there was this impotence to that. The police had found her wandering the streets and brought her to my parents' home. And after that, she continued to live with us after that. And she was sat in a rocking chair for the remaining days of her life. It was a disease that we didn't speak about anymore. It was a disease that was hidden away. And, you know, even in our own family, we didn't talk about it. She was there rocking away to the day she died. 
um, the stigma and alienation around the disease at the time, it was stifling. You know, you just didn't speak to anybody about it. So after I got my diagnosis for the, about the last 12 years, I've been trying to make positive change for people living with dementia in the, in the early um, years. I was vice chair of ODAG, which is the Ontario Dementia Advisory Group. We lobbied the Ontario government for a dementia strategy and policy change. During that time, um, we were invited to speak at many government forums for policy change. And I chuckled to myself when I think of these times. You see, this is when in the early days when people didn't believe that people with dementia could interact and we couldn't have our voices heard. So it was interesting at that time to watch what happened and how they'd look at you when you spoke because you could speak eloquently, you could demand things, you could, you know, so it was quite interesting. Um, so I believe that things really clearly needed to change. So since then, along with other people living with dementia, I've spoken at the United Nations, the World Health Organization, the Senate of Canada, and I've gained so much from this work, and it has started to result in systematic change in policies and practices. But this is slow and far from where we need to be at this time. So I was interested in engaging in activism differently from a more, from a more creative and playful place, since the old boring way wasn't really working and wasn't working as quickly as I would like it to. So Pia will talk more about the importance of creativity for how we are reimagining dementia. But I can add here that the emphasis on creativity has provided opportunities for people living with dementia in, coal in the coalition to be engaged, to imagine, to resist in ways they wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to do so. This allows us to change and challenge stigma in a powerful way, which is so important because stigma is what produces the discrimination that we face. Supporting so many others living with dementia in this way will bring the awareness and with it real and with it real change. I so agree. And I love when you talked about, you know, being a little bit more playful. You know, when I stepped into this space, that was a commitment I made was you know, we, we need to do this on multiple levels, doing using different modes of media. Everyone learns different. Everyone engages different. So, you know, um, reading, writing, um, video, audio, in person, all of those types of things. And then mixing it up. Um, you know, I, I was told initially as a speaker, I had to pick a lane. Who was, who was who was going to be my focus? Was it going to be the person? Well, actually, they didn't even say, was it going to be the person diagnosed? They weren't even included. It was like direct care, families, or the CEOs. That was Those were like the three lanes that were acknowledged. And my philosophy has always been, as it sounds like the coalition is, is that we can't make sustainable change if we don't include everybody because we all affect one another, which, you know, to me gets back I don't know, sometimes I think we have to kind of roll back the curtain and say it doesn't have to be as complicated as you've made this out to be. And the, the simpler we are and the more creative we get, the, the faster, you know, we move, we move that needle um, because everybody needs different things. So it's fun when you see everything from, from children to the very elderly to those who are um, diagnosed to those that don't even know anybody, but just want to step in and make a difference and, and work together in all those different modalities. I think that's critically, critically important. Pia, why don't you tell us a little bit more on how the coalition, you know, plans to really reimagine. Um, this, is a, this is a big area to tackle, needless to say. And you've got people, I'm sure, from all different uh, sorts from, from those diagnosed to family members to uh, various businesses and researchers and, you know, government officials. I mean, when you have all those different segments and everybody kind of is used to working their system a certain way, how do you get them to all work together? 
Well, as a start, um, you know, we recognize that there are many local, national, and international examples of individuals and organizations that are already making important strides to achieve culture change. I mean, the work of Phyllis and other dementia activists is a perfect case in point. Um, but there's little structure for collaboration and really no easy mechanism for dialogue within or across countries. So where there has been progress, um, well, I'd say and where there's been progress, you know, this hasn't developed into a more generalized framework that can inform further culture change work in other parts of the country and world. So to reimagine dementia, we will be, you know, contributing to leveraging um, other collective initiatives and resources and expertise and passion and creating new initiatives towards um, you know, organizing and, and mobilizing change. Um, you know, another way that we're reimagining dimension, and I think what's very unique about this coalition, and this is something that Phyllis has already mentioned, is that, um, you know, we are committed to the arts and creativity as an innovative way to address the social injustices that we've been discussing here. The arts are increasingly advocated for education to promote personal and social transformation, um, visual arts, performance, storytelling. I mean, they have enormous potential to change attitudes and policies and practices and to improve health, well-being and quality of life. So an example of this that coalition members are engaged with is social justice oriented theater. Um, which is really proving to be quite effective in challenging stigma and raising awareness about the importance of relational caring. Um, a research-based theatre production that I've co-produced with other coalition members um, is called Cracked New Light on Dementia. Um, this is a dramatic production based on our research and follows two storylines, the, the unique journeys of Elaine Carter and Vera Nolan, spanning from their dementia diagnosis through to their new lives in a long-term care home. And the play highlights the, experience of the experiences of these women and their families with stigma associated with dementia, their struggles with community services, how diagnosis affects their familial roles and relationships. But it also captures the resistance of these families to stigma through individual and collective action. Um, and we've toured this production for four years um, here in Ontario. And to capture its impact, we were successful in getting a grant that supported our evaluation of how healthcare practitioners and family cares are engaging with the production. And we found that it's decreasing their prejudice. It's fostering critical reflection about relational practices. It's fostering a commitment to individual and collective action to address stigma. So Cracked is, is we feel, is really well positioned to help to reduce societal misconceptions and stereotypes around dementia and to promote inclusive and meaningful engagement of persons living with dementia across all um, levels of, of society. Documentary film is another example of social justice art that is challenging stigma. Music is Life is an example of a film that I co-produced with coalition members that's helping audiences to see the importance of musical engagement to people living with dementia, the many ways that it supports connections between people, enhances relationships, enriches lives. The arts can so powerfully support the capacity of individuals living with dementia for creative, imaginative self-expression and to be in relationship with others. But as I said before, there are so few opportunities in residential long-term care homes to engage in meaningful activities and where there are arts programs, supporting creativity is not really their goal, um, since for the most part they, they're implemented as a therapeutic intervention. You know, they're directed rather than offered as genuine creative choice for residents in these settings. The model is to copy rather than, you know, support more aesthetic and experimental engagement. They're typically offered for residents alone, rather than as a relationship or community building experience for family and friends and staff or volunteers to participate in. So Music is Life is, is you know, but one example of how we're addressing, um, you know, the aesthetic deprivation in so many dementia care settings. So those are some um, examples of, of 
how we're planning to reimagine dementia. Wow, lots of stuff there I have to comment on. Um, when you mentioned the arts and creativity, I just think that that is so critically important. Um, in fact, I just did a, an episode with people with dementia and their art, and they explained their art. They were doing all different types, and we're going to do a second one because it was so popular. But it was so powerful as they explained what they got out of the art and what the art meant to them. I remember looking at one man had a, a block of clay, and on the front it was just a was just a square and it was gray, no color and kind of a, a face with uh, with no effect just on there. And you looked at it and probably the initial response of most people is like, mm, you know, not, not, I'm not getting it. And then he turned it to the side and you saw the back with all these colors. And it was, he said, it's my mind melting. And it just like, it made you look at that totally different, how he couldn't control his memories or his thoughts all the time. And the face masks that they made and the paintings that they did and the, the peace and the power that it gave them. And, you know, right to your point that a lot of times in communities, art is busy work. It's a task to be done, but it's not, it, it's not cultivating that creativity and giving them purpose and permission to explore and um, and again not in all not in all settings but in an awful lot it is just kind of busy work I hear that in support groups as well people go well you know if we're going to do an activity I'm doing the activity you know my person with dementia isn't able to do it and so I mean and part of that is stigma you know that mm. is, that is bearing that um, so I find that really interesting. I love the social justice theater because I think that's really, really important as well. And, you know, your film Cracked, um, the documentary on music is life. I'm going to give a plug for an organization and I don't know if you know them or not, but I, I just learned about them and it's called Music Men's Minds. And they have three um, musical sessions that they um, put on. Uh, for anybody virtually um, three times a week that have um, music therapists. And they've had people who used to play an instrument and haven't for 20 years and are picking up their trumpets and playing um, or singing. I mean, they can participate in any level, but it's, you know, I think part of what I love with the, the creativity of this whole reimagining, it's allowing people to be in whatever space they are and being honored and not being judged and just being welcomed as part of the group. I think that that is, is really, really powerful. Um, and I think, I think that's all I'm going to say on that because there's just so much about what you guys are doing that is, is so critically important on, on so many, many levels. Oh, I take that back. I'm going to say one more thing. With your, your film Cracked versus something like The Father, which I know, you know, got a, got a lot of media, but then a lot of uh, people in the industry say, you know, it didn't depict a dignified life. They were still asking what's my name and repeating questions all the time instead of living in their world and, and accepting that. And though the acting was great, that doesn't necessarily change stigma. Mm -hmm. And and the storyline of what can be and, you know, how how this journey can actually be a beautiful one uh, for me. You know, my mom lived with it for 30 years. And to this day, I still say her disease is the biggest gift I'll ever receive. She taught me so many beautiful life lessons um, that I, I can't even rattle them all off. And just life changing, because when we treat people with dementia good, if we can take that and receive that into all of our life you know what's good for dementia is really good for everybody it's not going to offend anyone i mean who doesn't want to be accepted and understood and um, be valued for who they are today because we're all changing all the time yeah i i totally agree with you Lori, and i i think that um uh, you know with with cracked um we really intended to intend with this production to inspire alternative ways of seeing people living with dementia um instilling the importance of maintaining strong relationships and 
reinforcing the imperative of, of relational caring. And I think that tackling stigma is so, so critical. And you know, moving audiences to a place where they see the need for change, but also to nurture their imaginations. Um, we all, you know, have a collective responsibility to, um, you know, help people to live better with dementia. And so what, what can we all do? Um, and I think that that's the, the power of this production, because I think it, it moves people to a place where they, where, where they see that. Agree. And I love that you termed it relational care. I can't stand when I hear person-centered care. I just want to get up and scream because I think it's overused and under-delivered and it takes a relationship out of everything. It's it's all task-oriented to me. And I know that was mm-hmm. never its initial intent, but that's what I see it as as how it's being delivered in most in most cases out there. And I do think we have to get people to understand that there is a relationship, just like I don't care for the word caregiver, because it sounds like you're giving everything away and you're not going to receive anything. And care partner and care companion puts you back into that, that relationship. I will add on to the whole film thing. I was involved with a film. It was originally called His Neighbor Phil when it came out. Now it's called A Timeless Love. But, you know, we upended how it was marketed. Um, And I think, you know, there's so many different ways to be able to change how people perceive things. And so we didn't do video, we didn't do online streaming, we didn't do any of that because we wanted people to view it in community with others, experiencing the same thing. But even like the talk back at the end was hilarious because I still get pushback going, okay, we'll do a talk back and and companies will say, okay, well, we'll, we'll get hospice and we'll get home health care. And I'm like, no, we're not doing a talk at them. We're doing a talk back. We want to hear what do they think and feel after the film? Who were they in the film or relatives mm-hmm. or did they have similar circumstances? And, you know, it, it's amazed me at the stories that come out and the friendships within an audience that doesn't know one another that are developed because they no longer feel alone. So even in, in the way that we deliver things um, from multimedia or how we deliver them in terms of, is it is it something that's isolated or a one-on-one or is it in a sense of community? All of that stuff makes a huge, huge impact. And, and to me, all of that needs to be looked at as well. Maybe I can just add, Lori, that that's, that's why following um, you know, live performances of the play and um, screenings of the film, we always host a QA and um, with the audience. It's such an important opportunity to, um, to explore with them how they're engaging with it. Um, and I, I think what we've heard from audience members is such a powerful affirmation, you know, of the research that informed it um, and the deep impact that it's having on them, the way that they're thinking about dementia and, you know, instilling a commitment to, um, to be more relational in, in, um, you know, in their, in their own lives with people living with dementia. Um, We've had people stand up and say, you know, that was my mom up there. You know, that was my dad up there. Um, We've had managers of, of nursing homes who have stood up and said, you know, we have that policy that you critiqued in the play. And, um, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to change it. Um, and we've had people living with dementia stand up and say, I will no longer hide. Um, mm-hmm. Really, really deep impact. So I, I really agree. I think that's an extremely important part, um, you know, of this. It's not just putting the play out there. It's not just putting the film out there, but um, using it to catalyze discussion. We're using it to change the conversation. Exactly. I'll, I'll add one other thing. And when I uh, did this film uh, and we did the talk back, there was a director of an Alzheimer's Association that spoke up afterwards. And she told her story and she talked for about 10 minutes, which was the whole point, you know, talk. We, we want everyone to, to have their time to talk. She came up afterwards and apologized just profusely that that was not her role. She wasn't to do that. And I just... I gave her a big hug and I said, what do you mean? You're one of them. You're one of us. It's okay. And she said in 21 years, she had never told her story. And she said, that was so empowering. But, 
You know, and, and I know AARP and a lot of other organizations have done studies of, you know, how, how do people see themselves in these roles? And they don't see themselves necessarily as a care partner. You know, they see themselves as a husband, a wife, a daughter, a friend, a son. And, you know, we have to speak in their terms and show them they're not alone because there's so much comfort when you just don't know you're alone anymore. I mean, that if nothing else happens, that alone, I think, just gives people a resolve that they can plug through this, that they're mm -hmm. that they're not isolated. And I think so many families, too, um, are looking at and say and, and professionals to a certain extent, I think families more that they don't have to be fixed. They just want to be supported. You know, mm -hmm. they understand there's not a cure. They understand there's not a miracle drug. Um, but please let me let me speak. Let me vent. Let me let me tell my story and, and just let me be heard. And then I'll listen to yours because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. we're all dealing with something. Yeah, Lori, I've got to agree with you there, because even in my own family, all my kids, that's all they care about. They just want things to be wonderful, to enjoy every moment like it's our last. And, you know, because of the job I had, I was very straight laced, very professional about everything. And after joining the coalition, I've learned to play again. I get in the trampoline and I jump with my grandkids. So I'm learning to live my life the way I want to live it and have fun again. So I think, you know, that's why it's so great. The coalition has taught me a lot. You, you should share, Phyllis, the example of the rap that you did with your grandson. That was just amazing. <laughs> there was a, we were doing a segment in the coalition and it was a, kind of a one minute show and tell about who you were. So we had to do it. And because of it being the type of coalition it was, I decided to do it as a poem. So I wrote out who I was as a poem. And when I read this poem to myself, I thought, man, that sounds like a rap. And something I would never even think of doing but to me, it sounded so much like rap. I contacted one of my grandsons who does rap and enjoys it. And I said, JJ, I've got this song. Do you think you could put it to rap music for me? So he says, yeah, Nan, send it over. I'll do it. Any, you know, anything for you. So off it goes. He comes back. Absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. Then I said to him, hey, JJ, why don't we record this? I'd love for you to do this with me. So we did do it together. And I think that type of inclusion and that type of support and it's intergenerational, it's, you know, the younger generation supporting the older generation, it has so much meaning. And that, I think that's why I like to do these things because these young children can, you know, interact and can support us in ways they don't even realize they can. But Lori, you should know that the uh, that when Phyllis um, posted this rap on Facebook, it went viral. You really should share it with your listeners. It's it's amazing. And it's just such a it, it models, um, you know, how we're wanting to use creativity to challenge stigma, to challenge you know, the way that people think about dementia and, and to help them to see that there's much more there than a diagnosis. Hey, JJ, what's that song? It sounds familiar. We wrote it about dementia. Do you remember it? Maybe. Can you sing it for me? I can sing it for you. Do you want to sing it with me, maybe? I can try. Okay, let's see how you do. Hey there, I'm Phyllis Fair. I'm doing all of this because I care. When it comes to dementia and you don't have a clue, just ask her a question and she'll tell you the truth. Dementia gets her motivated. She's captivated. That's why they get her advocating, keeping people educated. Hey there, I'm Phyllis Fair. Hey there, Phyllis cares. Spends all her time writing guides with DAI. Cause where she sets her sights is researching human rights. Let's work together at making the world better. For people with dementia, you could be a trendsetter. Our views, our voices. Value our choices. 
before I conclude this, I want you to do this. Make sure people living with dementia are valued and included. Hey there, I'm Phyllis Fair. Hey there, Phyllis Cares. Hey there, I'm Phyllis Fair. And hey there, Phyllis Cares. You know, JJ, I do remember some of that song. I love it. You thank, love it? I'm yeah. glad you love it. Thank you for doing this with me. I really appreciate everything you do for me. It's, you know, it means so much to me. No problem. I'm glad you love Because it's our song, right? I love yeah, it. I, I love you. I love you. So, you know, in today's world, living with dementia is changing. And what I love about it right now is the more people around the world understand and value what we're going through, we see younger and younger generations getting involved and helping out, and that's what's going to make the world a better place for people living with dementia to live in. Thanks, JJ. No problem. Oh, I love that. I was thinking my own mom and just the the freedom that she got with the diagnosis of not having to be in the box because she didn't know where the box was or where the walls were or whatever whatever the circumstances were. And, you know, you talked about just living life. And it's like, well, we all should really be doing that. We should be living life better. And we've gotten into this box of this is what we're supposed to look like. This is how we're supposed to talk and act. This is acceptable. This isn't. And yet when, you know, you get out of that box, how much fun is that? You know, and, and there's so much more love in the room, in the relationships and the laughter, which I think so often, I don't care what disease it is, you know, laughter gets like sucked out of the room. And yet that rejuvenates all of our souls. That's to me, what is the crux of our relationships? You know, it's kind of the glue. And so to see that come, come back in, same with the tears. I think the tears are the glue as well, being able to express emotion and not be shunned for it. Um, and just being able to be your authentic self. Uh, to me, that's the biggest gift in the world there is to give. And so, you know, with this coalition really kind of going for the throat on that and saying, hey, we all have the right to be accepted. We all have the right to live with dignity. We all have the right to be creative and have fun and just look through a different lens. And, and then you can sit back and decide, you know, which way you want to live. But I think most people are going to go to the side of joy. Yeah, joy, fun. You know, family time. Yep. Most important to me at this point in my life. Yeah. And as, as bad as COVID has been, I think it's made more people realize the importance of family. And it's given families the opportunity, even where they couldn't go visit, where they wanted to. I think we're going to see a lot more people want to volunteer and do more than what they did in the past. And so I'm, I'm hoping that businesses don't lose that opportunity because I, 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 I hear it, I see it, um, and people who may not even be touched by it have learned that there are a lot of needs and they want to help. So Phyllis, for you, we've kind of touched on this already, but I just want to see if there's, if there's anything more that you want to add. And, and that is, you know, in terms of being part of this coalition what's the most important thing to you well I think it's the genuine inclusion because it's core to the coalition and people living with dementia are too often excluded segregated and silenced they're not provided the opportunity they need to participate in a collective action it's still I still believe that people living with dementia have capacity and all others believe that they have no capacity and they are unable to participate in social life and should be sheltered and hidden. But with support, we are able to participate. Our voices need to be heard. We are the ones who are living the experience and we know what's happening to us. And we can help others to learn what's happening to us and how they can better understand and help us. We say nothing about us without us. This coalition has given us the platform where our perspective, needs, goals will guide the social action plan aimed at bettering the world for 
for people living with dementia and Alzheimer's. Oh, I so agree. I mean, I think you guys are the best teachers in the world. You are the true experts. The rest of us are peeking through a, a, you know, a glass window trying to guess. And why we haven't engaged earlier to me is just asinine and has slowed down our whole progression of, of really shifting dement- our dementia care culture. Uh, because, you know, you're living and breathing this experience. I, I was too, as a care partner, whole different, whole different experience yeah. from, from someone who is diagnosed, you know, with that. And, uh, you know, we need to, uh, we need to hear that voice. We, we need people to understand because they truly, they truly don't, um, even like when I go out and speak, I, I will throw out like 10 different things that people with dementia have told me about their day and about all the decisions they have to make. And these are professionals who have been in the industry for 20 years. These are family members who aren't new to the journey and they're all shocked. They're all absolutely shocked because they haven't slowed down to think of how draining that is on on their brain if they had to make all of these decisions all the time and if everything was always complicated and trying to fit in and look good and and we've all walked into that into a room and go oh I just don't want to be here I'm uncomfortable I don't feel like I fit and we know how stressful that is we know how stress affects dementia and yet we're not putting the pieces of the puzzle together to ease that journey and to make everybody feel comfortable and supported so that we're not, uh, you know, we're not the ones that are making the disease progress because of added stress we're putting on the situation. Well, you know, it's funny because when you in the group uh, with the coalition, you're just one of the gang. You're just one of the bunch of people making this happen. You're included. You're no different than I am. We're all on an equal playing field and it makes us feel comfortable and we can open up more. We can express better. We can engage so much easier. So the coalition has just been absolutely phenomenal for me because of that. Well, and that, that is wonderful that that setting has been put out there. Cause again, dementia or not, we all know what it's like to be in a group where, yeah, you're allowed to speak, but it's going to go, you know, because it really doesn't matter what comes out of your mouth. You're not such and such, or you're not this or that. Um, so I, I love, I, I love the inclusiveness, you know, that you're speaking of. Um, Pia, what has your experience been in working with the coalition? And, um, and how has it impacted you personally? So working with the coalition, I mean, I have to say has been one of the highlights of my career. I have met so many passionate and committed individuals um, and have developed such wonderful relationships with culture change activists. Um, you know, working so closely with people living with dementia in this capacity has also really deepened my own commitment to fighting stigma related inequities that are undermining the principles of a just, caring, and inclusive society. Um, and, and I'm learning from, and I'm always inspired by the ideas and the creativity that's expressed in all of our coalition gatherings. Um, I mean, even with the more traditional academic work that we've done, and here I'm referring to the publication um, of an article about the coalition in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease, co-authoring that with coalition members, including members living with dementia, was a new experience for me, but yet another opportunity, I think, to see firsthand what can come from authentic partnerships with people living with dementia, Um, you know, working with others, not for others. I love that. I love that. And, you know, a lot of what you're talking about is social engagement and I have been screaming that from the rooftops with my mom that we need to take that more seriously, that that is such a huge flipping benefit. And why are why is this being ignored? You know, why are we you know spending fifty six thousand dollars on a treatment that's a maybe instead of buying somebody an iPad or, you know, offering a, a true art program or allowing them to be 
um, part of a coalition like this. You know, I, I just think there is so much mismanagement of care in terms of how we care as, as a society in a world. And not that I don't want to cure, don't get me wrong, um, but there's got to be a balance. And this, you know, the importance of social engagement, the importance of feeling, uh, feeling purposeful and, and um, auth being able to be authentic to who you are and to be respected. I mean, my gosh, that's what everybody in the world wants. Why do we think someone, you know, who is diagnosed with dementia doesn't deserve that and that it's not important in their life? Uh, so I, I just, you know, I, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And I think um, these collaborations are the way to really push things forward because you're hitting things on different levels. And uh, just like uh, the world is kind of crumbling from healthcare and politics and what, I mean, just every direction you look, something's falling apart. And, um, you know, this is the way we pull things together by using our creative means. Um, and sometimes I think, I think we've lived in a world where if it, if it doesn't, if it doesn't have funding, it's not important. And there's a lot of things that can be done without funding, especially when you get like-minded people together. And not that we don't need funding, please don't misunderstand me there. But when you get a group of, of passionate people together, they are gonna plow something down and they're gonna get something done. And they're not gonna use the excuse that there's not funding or there's not enough funding. And to me, that is the real exciting tipping point of getting that, just being part of that energy. Phyllis, do you feel the energy from the group um, or am I misspeaking? No, there is such an energy, especially when we all get together and it, it brings you back to life. Even if I go in and I have had, you know, meeting after meeting after meeting that day and I'm exhausted. As soon as we sign on, you get this collective brain that just starts to go and everybody kind of energizes. And, you know, you hear one person say something and it just kind of tweaks you and you just kind of, it just energizes you. So, you know, I love going to the meetings. Um, there's certain meetings, I'll say, I'll be honest. I hate going to, they're boring, I get bored, <laughs> and they don't, you know, I have to be there, but this one here, I absolutely love being there at every meeting, and it's not always the same people on because of it being international, depending on who can be on at that time, you know, you make so many great connections with, and so many different kinds of connections. And that's energizing, too. And I think when people realize that people living with dementia can have a voice and can give input into things, the coalitions that are formed elsewhere to move things forward is just amazing. But it all stems from the central coalition that we're enjoying so much. Wonderful. Uh, Pia, what are your thoughts to what I, I said? Um, do you feel the energy and do you feel like the coalition has gotten things done on a, on a, on a dime versus, you know, 10 grand at times? You know? Oh, I, I mean, absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, we, uh, all of this work is happening off the side of our desk. Um, and it's quite extraordinary, actually, what we've been able to um, you know, to achieve just in, in nine months. I mean, we saw the launch of this coalition. Um, we went from a very small group to, you know, 530 members um, from across the, the world, around the world. So I, I think that, you know, we and our commitment to inclusivity and authentic partnerships and creativity, they're, they're, they're just, there is a very exciting energy there. So despite the fact that we we don't yet, I'll say yet, have funding, um, you know, to support these activities. Um, there, there's just an extraordinary commitment um, 
you know, and and we do have, um, you know, we have a lot of fun in these gatherings. Um, but I, I think that we also do some really, um, you know, good work. I mean, we are imagining, reimagining together, um, you know, a, a society that values people living with dementia as equal citizens. What does that look like? And how do we get there? How do we transform, you know, this unjust, harmful, congregating, segregating, confining, you know, people living with dementia, you know, to alternatives? How do we get there that to, to support people to move freely in the community, enjoy their rights to liberty, participate in the arts and, and really in any other way that they desire to be engaged in social life? So it's, um, it, they're, they're, it's incredibly hopeful um, and, and inspiring. And it just keeps refueling our commitment. So we just keep coming back. Um, you know, that said, we, we, I do think it will be important to try to secure some, you know, funds to, um, you know, to support the work, uh, certainly for the, the operations, um, you know, operating costs to support the, the coalition. Um, and, you know, I, I think, Laurie, just to come back to something you were saying before about funding, you know, the arts-based initiatives that, that I mentioned have, in fact, been funded. Um, they've been funded by our federal, um, you know, uh, funding health funding agency. Um, the Alzheimer's Society of Canada has funded this work. So I'm hopeful that, you know, I'm, I'm hoping this is sort of a sea change in that there's a recognition um, you know, for of the importance of this work. I think we all recognize we need to do something urgently and differently. And there, I'm, I'm seeing more support of, of these more innovative approaches to education and, and innovative approaches to, um, you know, supporting people to live well with dementia. So I'm hopeful that, um, you know, with this group and with our commitment, um, and, you know, there's hope on the horizon that there'll be funding, more funding to support this work, which I think will be important in order to achieve the kind of transformation that, that, that um, we're advocating. I know that I have found in, in collaborations when there's, there's no funding is people pull out different things. They pull out their roller dexes, they pull out... Um, you know, well, I can make copies or here's space over here, or this person's got the technology, this one can do graphic work and people volunteer little teeny pieces that don't hurt, you know, their primary work, and they're willing to give and then when funding comes, I mean, you can really get to the meat of the matter to really explore and expand. Um, when you have that plus, plus you have, I think, more buy in from people when they're allowed to give these little pieces here and there and contribute. I think that that's an important piece of the pie that many times is overlooked. And it's fun to see people um, get so proud when something is pulled together that they easily could have said, well, we're just, you know, we didn't get that grant. So it's not going to happen. You know, the priority is large enough to say that can't be our excuse. Maybe we'll get the grant next year, but we still need to, you know, we still need to push forward um, and to see, you know, dementia really taking a front line and um, raising its profile um, to the public in a in a comfortable fashion to one that's not mm -hmm. threatening, one that's not just stuffing um, statistics down people's throats, but is sharing story and sharing brilliance of life and, and living well, you know, with the disease, alongside the disease. I, I to me, th that's the key because that brings, that attracts more people. Well, and it's so much more engaging. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, we know from, from research that, that, you know, practice guidelines aren't, aren't going to change practice. Um, we really need to engage people's emotions. We need to move people. You know, we need to nurture their imaginations. Um, and that's why I, I just think the arts have, you know, enormous, um, enormous potential. Yep. And, and celebrate their successes. I think so often, you know, a lot of the successes that are there are just overlooked because people are on to the next task to be done 
in, mm-hmm. instead of really reveling in something that's happened and celebrating it. So kudos to you both. I really appreciate you guys spending this time uh, with me today so that we can share um, reimagine dementia with our audience. Now, people, if you want more information, you can uh, email reimaginingdementia at gmail, reimaginingdementia at gmail.com. Or they have a Facebook page, which is Reimagining Dementia, that you can join. Uh, you can get a hold of Pia at P-I-A period K-O-N-T-O-S at U-H-N dot C-A. And you can also email Phyllis at Phyllis, and then her last name is F. E H R at and that's C O G E C O dot C A. Um, thank you again, both. This has just been a brilliant conversation, and I'm imagining that people can join Reimagining Dementia by by emailing and getting more information. Is that correct, PM? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, we we definitely are looking for more people to join. Great. There's a there's a lot of creative minds out there that'll be thrilled to to learn about your organization. So thank you um, so much for your leadership uh, to both you and Phyllis. Um, I, again, I think it's brilliant work. And to our listeners, please like, click, and share this episode. Just because you gained the knowledge, don't be stingy share it. <laughs> we, we all need, we all need to learn what's new out there. So thank you all. And we will talk to you next time. Bye now. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lori, for having us on the show. Hi, this is Suzanne Newman, host of the Answers for Elders podcast and radio show. We are the North Star that guides you through the complicated journey of senior care with trusted experts in money, law, living solutions, and more. So join us on this station, your favorite podcast channel, or just go to AnswersForElders.com. Meet the Way Showers who will help your journey a lot easier.